This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Our scripture reading today is from Psalm 27 of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy, and I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my mother and my fa- my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. <clears throat> Wait <clears throat> for the Lord. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God. <clears throat> All right. Yeah, so you guys can be seated. <clears throat> Don't know what happened with my voice right there. <laughs> I think I'm okay. Thanks, though. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> take courage. Wait for the Lord, even when your voice can't. But this morning, we get to wrap up our summer in the Psalms. And so for the past several years, we've kind of been walking through the Psalms during the summer, and it's been a really special time. I remember back when we originally introduced the Psalms, kind of one of the things that we said uh, about the Psalms is it's a book that contains every aspect of human emotion. And so there's not, you're hard pressed to find a human emotion that you can't find in the Psalms. And so, might grab some water. Thanks. I was in Canada a couple weeks ago at a big work trip and we had to do a lot of yelling just because everything was so loud. And so maybe my voice hasn't recovered from that. But yeah, anyway, so It's been really cool to be able to walk through the Psalms and engage our feelings. And so that's something that we don't really do a whole lot and we're not often really good at is engaging our feelings. Um, And so we get to spend one more week walking through Psalm 27 and engaging our feelings in the Psalms. And so ultimately, um, as creatures created by God in God's image, we were made with emotions. And so that's, that was on purpose. Like that was a good thing. Like God made us with emotions so that we can feel things and not just like physical touch, but like feel things like 
emotionally. And so we were made with these emotions to then also glorify God with our emotions. And so that's why it's, it's been really cool as we walk through these Psalms to be able to feel the goodness of God stretched across every single one of these songs. Um, and so I think also as, as we've looked through these songs, we see, uh, we see God's goodness and we get to feel, with, feel and interact with God's goodness through these Psalms. But we also uh, see that there's a whole other set and range of emotions that we feel because of the reality that we live in a broken world. And so the Psalms really are, uh, in a lot of ways, they're a collection of songs where we seek to feel and interact with God's goodness, with our emotions in the midst of the world around us that might cause us to feel differently. And so the Psalms though, um, they, they teach us one thing, uh, they teach us a lot of things, but one thing in particular is that our present circumstances, uh, whether they be uh, good, favorable, or what we would consider bad, they change and they ebb and they flow. We might have a roller coaster of emotions. And so, but one thing does not change, and that's good, God's good character. That is consistent. And so the goodness of God, uh, it never changes and it never wavers. We see that in every single song. And we're going to see that today in Psalm 27. But depending on our circumstances, sometimes uh, we all know this because we've all ridden the roller coaster of emotions. Depending on our circumstances, it might be easier to worship God as good. It might be easier to see him as good. Other times it might be more difficult because of circumstances that we're in. And so in those difficult times, we often have to be patient and we have to wait on the Lord. And that's where we are as we kick off Psalm 27 today. Uh, David uh, is in this period of uh, just fearfulness. And so in the first three verses of this song, you see David use the words fear three different times. And so if you know anything about David's life, you know that he had real moments of fear. There are moments when uh, he didn't know if he was gonna make it to the next day because there were literal armies camped outside of his cave waiting to kill him, hunting for his life. And so uh, I don't, we don't know the exact context of this particular psalm, but we do know that uh, the, the emotion that David is wrestling with is fear. He's in a, a fearful time. But even though David's present circumstances and sufferings fill him with fear, he has reason to be confident in the presence of his good God. And all he needs to do is wait on the Lord to prove that confidence. And so I don't know about you, but for me, um, I think fear is, is, is a, an emotion that uh, kind of hits on me uh, because I'm very in tune with the worst case scenario. Ask Anna. Anything that can happen, I've already thought like five or six or seven steps down the road. And so um, it's, it's really easy for a little hint of fear in me to become a crippling bear of destruction and, and just crippling bear of despair to where I'm t I can very easily be caught up in just unreasonable and unrational fear. <laughs> and so I think that to some degree or another, it might not be fear for you, but I think all of us struggle with this to some extent. It's really easy for our emotions to spiral and then grow 
and then rule us. And so it's very easy then for us also to wait in the emotions that are dictated to us by the broken narrative of the world around us. It's so easy for us to hang out there. But this song has another way forward, and I'm thankful for that. This song instructs us to not wait in our fear or in whatever emotion might threaten to, uh, to rule your life. This song instructs us to wait in the goodness and the greatness and the gloriousness of our God. And we see David right here struggling to wait on the Lord. Um, ultimately, there's three things that help him redirect his emotions. We see, God's, uh, we see David focusing on God's character and God's presence and God's deliverance. And so he, as he seeks to redirect his emotions from fear to one that's focusing on and resting in the goodness of God, we see him contemplating God's character, we see him seeking God's presence, and we see him asking God for deliverance. And so this morning, like David, um, consider those things that make you fearful in your life. Maybe, or maybe even consider an area of your life where you're suffering. What are those areas of your life that cause you to, to worry that everything is not gonna be okay? And bring those to the table. Bring those to, to God's word right here as we interact with our emotion and we contemplate God's character, as we seek his presence, as we ask him for deliverance in the midst of these uh, trying and, and odd times that the world throws at us. And so, before we jump in, let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful that we have this collection of, of songs that um, force us to engage with our emotions. I know for, for some of us that comes naturally and others of us it doesn't. And so um, I'm thankful that, that you have created us as emotional beings who are designed to worship you with those same emotions and glorify you with those emotions. And so this morning, I pray that as we uh, look into your text, as we uh, consider the words that uh, you put before us this morning, that you would help us to consider those things that cause our emotions to spiral and grow. I pray that you would help us to recognize those emotions that threaten to rule us. And I pray that you would confront those with, with your presence. I pray that you would help us to consider your character. And out of that, I pray that you would help us to then seek your presence and ask you for deliverance from whatever emotions threaten to rule our lives. God, our emotions can take us a lot of places, but I pray that you would refocus those emotions uh, this morning to glorify you as we rest in your good presence. I pray uh, just for the words that um, are spoken today, I pray that um, you would send your spirit uh, to teach our hearts because we need that. Our hearts are hard and they need softening by your gracious and good spirit. So it's in your name we pray, amen. amen. All right, so as we jump into the Psalm, uh, I'm gonna read verse one for us. So David wrote this song. Um, he, says, he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Amen. 
And so David, amen, David opens the song with affirmations about God's character, about who God is. The Lord in here, Yahweh, he is David's light. He's David's salvation. He's the stronghold of David's life. And so when fears and uncertainties are are overwhelming, when doubt is crippling him, when fear threatens to spiral out of control and everything seems unbearable, this is the first place that David goes right here because that's the first thing that he needs his heart to understand is the truth about the good and consistent character of his Lord. And so ultimately these, these truths about God and his character tell him Therefore, what God is doing about the broken reality of the world around him. The reality that the Lord is light means that he's not content for his people to sit in darkness. And so those dark situations and scenarios that they might find themselves in, the Lord shines his light on those. The fact that the Lord is salvation means that he's not content for his people to to be enslaved, to live their lives enslaved to fear and to suffering. The fact that the Lord is our stronghold means that he, he, he's here to protect his people. These are things that are true about the character of God. And so these are names, these are attributes that, that David is, is ascribing to the Lord. He is my light, salvation, and stronghold. Yes, Lord. And so these truths are essential for David to understand here when his fear threatens to spiral. And so the broken world around us, it will dictate a different story. It'll dictate a story to us that we should be enslaved to fear, that we have so much to be afraid of. It'll dictate a, a, a story to us that, that we are not safe. It'll dictate a story to us that, that we need to take control. And so this song, it confronts the lies of, of the world with the truth of the creator who made us from the beginning. And so um, I think another thing that's important to understand here is that David, he doesn't just say that the Lord is light, the Lord is salvation, the Lord is a stronghold. He says, the Lord is my light. He is my salvation. He's a stronghold of my life. And so he takes these truths and he, he says that these truths are comforting to him. These things about God, that he is light, that he is uh, salvation, that he is a stronghold, these things are true for him because the Lord is David's God. The Lord is my God. Amen. And so it's, 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 Two totally different things to affirm truths about God, which our heart desperately needs to understand, but then also to to state confidently that these truths about God are true for me. They're reassuring for me because this is my God. And so then because of these things, because the Lord is my light and my salvation, the Lord is the stronghold of my life, these truths then for David, they result in fearlessness, whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? No one. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
No one. Nothing. That's the obvious implied answer here. If these things are true about God, and if these things are true about God to me, if I'm confident in the fact that my God is my light, if I'm confident in the fact that my God is my salvation, if I'm confident in the fact that my God is a stronghold for my life, then what is there in this entire world that I have to be afraid of? Absolutely nothing. And so David, he could have been done right there, right? I mean, if we have fears and they're spiraling and they're confronted with this confidence that we have in the character of God, then he could just be done. But the thing is, whenever our emotions start to spiral, they're really strong. <laughs> and so David keeps writing here. Um, he keeps, he doesn't put down his pen. He doesn't uh, leave it at that. And so he keeps writing because his emotions, they're strong. And so uh, he says next in verse two, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. And so here, that might sound kind of crazy in our day and age, but what David's doing is he's looking back on his previous dark times because he had a lot. And so he's looking back on those previous times and he's remembering what it was like for God to be his light, his salvation, and the stronghold of his life in those times. He's remembering what God's character meant for him in past dark circumstances and situations. And it gives him so much confidence that he can then write, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. And so when the circumstances around him would dictate crippling fear, David remembers the good and steady character of his God. And he remembers what that meant for him in his previous moments. And that results in a reassured confidence in the face of a broken world around him that tells him that he has nothing to be confident in. So he has the Lord. He has his light. He has his salvation. He has the stronghold of his life. And so what else can he do but ooze confidence that this God will be the same tomorrow and the same today in his present circumstance as he has been always. And so I have to be honest in, in reading this Psalm a lot of times and in reading other stories uh, like this, a lot of times I, I kind of find myself having a, a hard time connecting with this because I feel like I read these things and I see that David, he talks about enemies pursuing him. He, he has evildoers like seeking violence on him and he has armies encamping against him. And I think I, I, don't have, I don't worry about waking up and like looking out my window and like seeing people like trying to maybe find a ninja behind my tree waiting to kill me when I step out the door. <laughs> like I don't deal with those things. Like I don't have people pursuing my life all the time. And so... When I read stories with this like this, sometimes it's like, well, that was that was David, and so, but I don't deal with that. And I mean, David wrote these things because these things actually happened to him. If you read First and Second Samuel, you see so many stories of David being on the run, hunted by his friends, hunted by his family, people literally waiting outside his cave to kill him. Like <laughs> he wrestled with these exact things, but I don't, and so I struggle sometimes to connect with this. 
But I, I just, I can't sometimes just comprehend the magnitude of enmity that's pointed at David <laughs> because it was, it was intense and it was real and it was a lot. But just because I haven't de dealt with David's exact circumstances, that doesn't mean that I don't feel the same emotions, the same fear that he had whenever he wrote these words. And it also doesn't mean that because I haven't experienced the magnitude of enmity that David has in these, his exact circumstances, it also doesn't mean that I can't experience these feelings to the same degree that David experienced them. And so the reason for that is that even if you and I, we don't have enemies just like David, we don't have to worry about waking up and like having people on our front porch ready to kill us. Um, we do have an enemy. And I'd like to do a deep dive into this, but we don't have time for that. Uh, so we're gonna kind of just skip over that. But we do have a common shared enemy and his purpose is to separate us from God's presence. And so we see this enemy come up in Genesis 3. We see him almost in the very beginning of the story of humanity. And we see him hand the forbidden fruit to Adam and Eve. And we're still experiencing the effects of that today. And we see this enemy again pop up very clearly in Job. And his, his, his purpose is to separate Job from God's presence. His purpose is to, to turn Job's blessings to God into curses. And so we have an enemy, you and I, every single one of us, and his goal is to separate us from God's presence. And so uh, Peter talks about this enemy in 1 Peter uh, as he closes out his first letter. Um, he says in 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 8, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That's intense language. And that's an enemy that Peter is saying that we all have in common. We all have this enemy who prowls around seeking to devour us, seeking to separate us from God's presence. Ultimately, the aim of our enemy is to cause everybody to curse God's name, especially his children. And he, he works, uh, he, he accomplishes that through a variety of different means. For David, in the psalm that we're in, that was by sending armies after him, having him worry when he, whenever he looks out onto his front porch. For us, it might look different. It might be job security. It might be children that demand all of your time. It might be families and family dynamics. It, it could be a whole wide range of things that the enemy might use to turn your blessings to God into curses. And so how does, how does Peter keep going? How does he encourage us in light of this? If we just leave it at that, that's pretty grim. Um, but he keeps going. He says, uh, let's see. Yeah, he says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, he says the God of all grace. He, he says the God of all grace. He's pointing to God's character right here. 
He's reminding us of who our God is. He's the God of all grace. What does the God of all grace do? He has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. And he, the God of all grace, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And so even though we have a shared enemy, even though we might not experience the efforts of this enemy to turn our curses, or sorry, turn our blessings to God into curses, we still have this enemy that seeks to separate us from the presence of God. And so what do we do? We contemplate on God's good character because that's the truth that our hearts need to hear. Because we have a God who is our salvation. We have a God who is our light. We have a God who is the stronghold of our lives. Amen. We worship and serve the God of grace. And so what are the means in your life that the enemy is using to separate you from God's presence? They're different for every single one of us. I was telling Anna the other day, like, I don't know what it is about me, but I always think I'm gonna lose my job. <laughs> like that is a fear that spirals so far with me. But what is it for you? The enemy uses that in my life to doubt his goodness, to doubt that he is the stronghold of my life. Even if I do lose my job, so what? God is still good. God is still my light. He's still my salvation. The, just the, the, uh, the prospect of losing my job causes me to doubt God's goodness and God's provision. So what is it for you? When our response to these devices that the enemy uses to try to separate us from the presence of God, whenever those things are fear, whenever, whether maybe it's fear, maybe it's anger, maybe it's hopelessness, whatever emotion that tends to spiral in your life, that tends to want to rule, that's when we contemplate God's good character. That's when we rest in the fact that this good God is my light, he's your light, he's your salvation, and he's your stronghold. And so that's why David starts with that right here, is because in his time of fear, as his fear starts to, to spiral, as it threatens to be one that's crippling, that's what his heart needs to hear, is these truths about the character of God. That's where his heart needs to dwell on in his darkest moment. And then for David, Contemplating then on God's good character drives him to seek God's presence. So he keeps going. He says, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And so all this contemplating on God's good character, the fact that God is his light, his salvation and his stronghold, that drives him to one thing, he says, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I might seek after. And that one thing is to be in God's presence and to look upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire upon the Lord. And so 
Contemplating God's character ultimately reassures David, and it brings him back where the enemy would separate him from the presence of God. It brings him back to him seeking to be even more in the presence of God in the midst of his circumstances. And so if I think through the times of of chaos in my own life, um, there have been some times when I've been rightly worried that I was gonna lose my job. Um, How often when I pray is my one request that I be brought even more and more into God's presence? That's a convicting question. How often then in your circumstances, in our, in our worst circumstances, is our one request, the focal points of all of our prayers, that we be found only in God's presence? And so David's first request here after, after contemplating God's character is that he would be found in God's presence. And so in the chaos of his terrifying circumstances, as he wakes up in the morning and looks out the cave to see if there's an army right there, his, his first and foremost request is that he be found in God's presence. He's saying that God's presence is so desirable that if, if that's all he has, if, if all he has is being in God's presence, then nothing else matters. That's enough. Amen. And that's incredible. And so he keeps going. He says, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high on a rock. And so David's protection here and his shelter, it's nothing more and it's nothing less than God's presence. David's protection is not that the Lord would change his circumstances here, but that he would be in God's presence. And so he says something similar in uh, Psalm 63 which I wanted us to take a quick look at. Um, Psalm 63 is another time uh, when David was in the wilderness in Judah. So we have a little bit more context from this Psalm. And so he is on the run. Um, He is being pursued. He's in the wilderness. And so he says in Psalm 63, verses one to three, he says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He was in a dry and weary land where there was no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. And he says here that God's steadfast love is better than life. Being found in God's presence where their steadfast love is better than life. I know based on my, my prayers, when I'm in my darkest moments, I know that it takes a work of the spirit to get my heart to that point. <laughs> and that's where David was. This, his steadfast love is better than life. And so he seeks only God's presence in his darkest time. And so the question here is, when our fears 
where our emotions are spiraling, when they threaten to, to rule our life, is the focus of our prayers that God would change our circumstances or that he would draw us more and more into his presence despite our circumstances. And so all this, it's not to say that we should never ask for God to change our circumstances. We'll get to that here in a bit. Uh, but the reality is that, that the enemy, he brings upon us certain situations that, that make us difficult to seek the presence of God. But what David here is affirming uh, is that as terrible as your present situation might be, as, as dark of a place as you might find yourself, as, as far as your emotions have gone and they're spiraling, um, as, as much as the enemy is dumping on you to separate you from the presence of God, as much reason as you might think you have to curse God's name, the Lord, your light and your salvation, the stronghold of your life, he works even within those circumstances to bring you more and more into his presence. Even in the midst of that chaos, he works within that to bring you more into his presence. And so... When David here is in God's presence, even in the midst of the suffering, he can confidently say here in the next verse, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I'll offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy, and I will sing and make melody to the Lord. And so the Lord works even within our suffering to fix our emotions on him so that we then glorify God with our emotions because we get to rest in his protective presence where there is his steadfast love, which is better than life itself. And so this song teaches that contemplating God's character draws us first to seek out God's presence, which is our true shelter and our true, true salvation. And then uh, as we keep going here, David kind of switches gears so far, we've kind of had a, a line of sight into his thought process as he's kind of spiraling in his fears, as he's wrestling with these fears. Uh, but now uh, we see that David cries out directly to the Lord. He says, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. And so now we're going to see all of these thoughts come out in the form of a, of a plea, of a petition to the Lord, of a, of a cry for deliverance. And so um, he starts out, he says, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. I know that in this time when it's the hardest to seek your face, when I have so many things going on right around me that terrify me, you still instruct me to seek your face because in your presence is where my true safety is. And that's what I want. And so hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O oh God of my salvation. And so do you hear these repeated themes that we've been talking about so far? He's seeking God's presence when it's most difficult for him to find it. And then he's also remembering how God has been his help in the past. 
he's remembering that God's character is consistent and the same. So he has every reason even now to be confident. And so he's, he's begging his Lord, who he knows is good, to act in accordance with his goodness and to not abandon him in his darkest time, but rather bring him closer into God's presence where there's security and peace and confidence. And so I think about my own prayers for deliverance and I think about all of the other external factors that, and I guess my set of expectations that I tend to bring to God about what it looks like for me to be delivered. And how often in my prayers do I approach God for deliverance from and ask him to change my situation? It looks like me having my boss show up and sign a 15-year contract that they will never fire me. <laughs> or they'll never have layoffs. Or they'll never, um, yeah, like whatever it is. Like, I haven't actually prayed for that, but that's what it would look like. <laughs> so um, I, I just, oftentimes I bring a set of expectations on what it would look like for me to be delivered. I bring those terms to the table. But that's not what we see here with David. He's seeking God's presence first because he knows that his true salvation lies in God's presence and in his steadfast love. That's where he's really ultimately protected, not in the armies packing up and going home, in God being with him and, his stead and being, David being brought into God's presence where there's steadfast love. And so all that to say, um, the Lord's deliverance doesn't always only look like God bringing you more into his presence. And so the reality is that the enemy does work evil situations in all of our lives in an effort to separate us from God's presence. And there, the reality is that there are situations that we might find ourselves in that make it more difficult to find and seek God's presence and draw near to him and bless him. And so there are times when God does deliver us out of those circumstances. And when that happens, we can thank him and praise him because through those, he's showing his goodness. He's showing his glory. He's showing his power. And that's why David here, he continues. He says, in verse 12, give me not up to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. And so David prays for, 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 for a change of circumstances here. Right now, it seems like the will of his adversaries and enemies is prevailing. And so he prays that that would change. And so in a lot of ways, David here is praying very much how Jesus taught his disciples to pray, that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. The reality is, in God's kingdom, there, there are no enemies. There's no oppression. There's no enemy prowling around seeking people to devour. There's no separation from God's presence. And so David here is praying that God's kingdom would be realized here in his present life, just like it is in the kingdom that he knows is coming one day. However, 
while God does deliver his people out of difficult circumstances to show his grace and glory and power, in this psalm, this is a secondary issue. First and foremost, God instructs you to seek his face wherever you are, in whatever circumstances you find yourself in, so that you can draw near to his presence and glorify him in your feelings, in your feelings, even when everything around you might encourage you to do otherwise. And so as God's children, though, we serve a good and powerful God who is capable to do anything. And so as God's children, we can be confident that our Lord is able to deliver us from anything, whether that's spiritual separation from him or physical. Whatever is going on in our lives, God has the power to deliver us from it. But as his children, and even more importantly, we can be confident that if he chooses not to, that he can and will still draw us closer to himself and deeper into his presence and more and more into an understanding of his steadfast love, which is better even than life. And so David's plea for deliverance gives us freedom to plea with our God in our present circumstances. It gives us freedom to ask God from deliverance, even from job insecurities or uh, give you more time in the day to deal with all the things that you have or to, uh, I don't know, all of whatever else you struggle with. Uh, he, he gives you a place and a platform and a model to approach God and ask for deliverance from those things. But even more importantly, it gives us a way and a framework to seek God's good character, to contemplate on his good character and to seek his presence first as we ask for deliverance. Because true deliverance means being drawn deeper and deeper into God's presence. And we can be confident that he's gonna do that regardless of how strong of a storm that we're in, how deep and dark the hole is that we're in. And so the first truth about God that David talks about here, he says, the Lord is my light. And so a cool thing about this is that this, in the entire Old Testament, this is the only place where the Lord is directly equated and said to be light. Isaiah says later on that Jesus will be as a light to the nations, but this is the only place where God is directly equated to light in the entire Old Testament. But if we were to kind of uh, go on into the New Testament, where else do you see that God is light? We're gonna go there right now. Spoiler alert. <laughs> John 1. <laughs> yes. So um, read with me in John 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so this is John right here introducing us to Jesus. And so he says, uh, yeah, that Jesus is the light that uh, shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And so I'll skip over a ton of the story because 
most of us are familiar with the story of Jesus, but in Jesus's life, if anyone knew the effects of the enemy dumping everything he could on him to separate him from the presence of God, it was Jesus. Isaiah, who said Jesus would, also, would be as a light, also prophesied 400 years before Jesus was born that Jesus would be a man of sorrows, a man of pain. And so in one of, in one of Jesus's darkest moments, um, we see him, he's about to knowingly march to his torturous death and he's on his knees. He's pleading with the father to deliver him from this task. And he's not just pleading that, the God, that God deliver him from uh, this, this torturous death. He's, he's pleading that he wouldn't be separated from God's presence because that's ultimately was what Jesus was going to do. He was going not only to suffer physically, but he was going to be separated from God's presence so that his people wouldn't have to be. And he's on his knees and he's praying fervently that God would deliver him. And God is silent. We would consider that an un unanswered prayer. I mean, when I look at the times when I pray and I hear silence, I think that's an unanswered prayer. And so we see here Jesus, our light, he knows what it's like to plead for earthly deliverance and to be met with silence. But just as the father delivered him from the grips of death, just as he rose him from the dead, so will he save every single one of his children in the same way, regardless of what he does or does not save us from in this life here and now. Because of who God is, because he is good, because he's merciful, because he's powerful, because he's glorious, he will bring you out of your suffering. And so whatever situation that you think of that's causing your emotions to spiral, whatever situation the enemy puts you in that might cause you to forget the goodness of God and pry you from God's presence, whatever situation you're in, if God doesn't deliver you from that now, he will one day. Because Jesus is the first fruits of the kingdom to come. And God's, all of God's children get to join him in that when he, when he comes. And so this is why David closes the way that he does. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. And so at this point in the story, David, he's still waiting for this king to come, but he knows that there is this coming kingdom where God will dwell with his people for forever. They will be his people and he will be their God. And so he says, wait for the Lord. Let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. And even in the land of the living, even here and now, I know that he's working to draw me more into his presence. So I will see the goodness of God, even in the land of the living. But still, I'll wait for the Lord. But we know who this king is. It's, it's Jesus, our light, our salvation, our stronghold. And we see what he did. He went and he suffered and he, he suffered separation from God so that we don't have to. 
And even more, he rose from the dead so that he currently sits at God's right hand interceding for us. Amen. And in our, he's also united us in himself so that we have direct access to the presence of God because he dwells within us. And so we have access to God's presence in a way that David dreamed of. So this king has come. His kingdom has come in part, yet we still wait for it to come in full. And so the same command remains. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. As we contemplate his character, seek his presence and ask for deliverance from whatever situation the enemy might put you in in an attempt to separate you from the presence of God. Because we serve the God of all grace, he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And then Peter says, to him be all dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for this opportunity that we have to come together and worship you, to sing your praises. And God, you know what's going on in each and every one of our hearts. You know our insecurities. You know the ways that we're prone to not believe in your goodness. You know the, 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 the situations that the enemy is piling on us in an attempt to rip us away from your presence. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work within those situations. I pray that you would call our names so that we might know that you're drawing us more and more into your presence, despite what you do or do not redeem us out of here and now. God, I pray that first and foremost, we would uh, seek your steadfast love. I pray that you would uh, teach us the reality that your steadfast love is even better than life. I pray that you would make that real to us each and every day through your spirit. And I pray that when our emotions are flaring up and are attempting to rule us, I pray that you would draw us back to your goodness and that you would then cause our emotions to worship you and glorify you because that's what they were meant to do. And God, uh, we're thankful that we have Jesus, the first fruits of the kingdom that's coming, who has not only suffered in our place, but who has endured everything that we have. He is a good high priest who knows what it's like to suffer. And so let us come to him and ask him for deliverance. God, you are the God of all grace, and I pray that you would establish us and restore us in your presence even when we can't, and especially when we can't feel it. I pray that you would draw us back to you again and again. In your name we pray, amen.